You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. So now open the Bible. Read two passages this afternoon. First of all, from the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 15, verses 1 to 12. And then from the New Testament, Matthew 15, 1 to 20. To set the stage for what we're going to read here in 2 Samuel 15, this takes place during the reign of David. In 2 Samuel 13, there was the account of Amnon, a son of David, and Tamar, one of Amnon's sisters. And later on, we find that Absalom killed his brother Amnon for what he did to his sister Tamar. Later on in 2 Samuel 14, Absalom returned to Jerusalem and was forgiven for what he had done by his father David. Now we continue in 2 Samuel 15 at verse 1. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, What town are you from? He would answer, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case would come to me, and I would see that he gets justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. While your servant was living at Geshur in Aram, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem... I will worship the Lord in Hebron. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. Two hundred men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about this matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor, to come from Gilo, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's following kept on increasing. Now we go to the New Testament, to Matthew 15, verses 1 to 20. And some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, He is not to honor his father with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. 
You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. But what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. And the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Now turn to Lord's Day 39 of the Heidelberg Catechism to read that together. The question, what does God require in the fifth commandment? The answer, that I show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me. Submit myself with due obedience to their good instruction and discipline and also have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. Beloved congregation, Jesus Christ, imagine for a moment what it would be like if you and a group of 20 friends, say, had the opportunity to start your own society on a desert island, a deserted island. You could start from scratch in paradise. What would be the outcome? Well, in his classic novel, The Lord of the Flies, William Golding explored that question. The book is about a group of boys stranded on a beautiful yet deserted, very remote island. Apart from their parents, apart from their teachers, apart from law and government, the characters in the book spiral downwards into shocking levels of depravity. The Lord of the Flies is a brilliant expose of human nature, and it, it speaks on several different levels. There are different ways to read it and appreciate it. But as I read it in high school a number of years ago, I couldn't help but think that one thing Golding was trying to communicate was that when law and order are removed, people often act in chaotic, unpredictable, and even dangerous ways. On the flip side, when people appreciate and embrace law and order, society often flourishes and things go well. There's predictability and there's safety in law and order. That's one of the reasons why, as Christians, we recognize the value of God's law, especially as given in the Ten Commandments. When we are thankful for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, and when we embrace God's law as 
the rule for expressing our thankfulness, goodness, and safety result for others around us. Living by God's law does good for others. It shows love to others around us, for our neighbor. This is immediately obvious with the fifth commandment and its explanation in the Heidelberg Catechism. The fifth commandment involves us, each one of us individually, but it also involves others. We're commanded to honor somebody else, others. The catechism draws this out to mean that we are to show honor, love, and faithfulness to parents and to others in authority over us. As we're going to see this afternoon, the good that this commandment envisions extends not only to those or directly to those who are in positions of authority, whether parents or others. When we have the fifth commandment as part of our life of thankfulness, we do good and we love all our neighbors as ourselves. Does good for everybody. Well, we're going to survey some passages from the Old Testament and the New Testament to see how this works out. Well, before we get into those Old Testament passages, I need to briefly say something about abusive relationships of authority. As one of your pastors, I recognize that some of you have suffered at the hands of parents and or others who were in positions of authority. Perhaps, and I pray and I hope this isn't the case, but perhaps some of you are suffering right now. What has been done to you or what is being done is not right. It was not your fault. And the fifth commandment does not support it. Having patience with someone's weaknesses and shortcomings does not mean allowing yourself to be abused. Abuse, whether it's physical, whether it's mental or sexual, is sin. And no one has to put up with it. And so if you are being abused, and again, I I sure hope there is nobody here who has that. But if you are, you need to speak with someone you can trust so you can find help in dealing with it. Also so that abusers can be confronted with their need for repentance. And if you've been abused in the near past or the far past, you may need somebody to help you to work through that if you haven't already had that help. Well, we pastors are here to help you with that if you want. As a church, we're here for those who are broken. We want to be a place where people can heal together, find rest for their souls in Jesus Christ. By God's grace and with His help, we are not going to be a church where abusers are protected and allowed to continue in their sin. We take the words of Christ in Matthew 18 very seriously. Not just His words about discipline, those words that we all know very well, but also His words about the little ones. He says in Matthew 18, But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in Me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Well, I hope we all understand that. Okay, that was an aside. Now we'll get into our our look into the Old Testament. 
And what we see as we survey the Old Testament and relationships between parents and children, what we see is a lot of failure. Time and again, God's people just can't seem to get it through their heads that they are to show honor, love, and faithfulness to parents and others in authority. And as we look at some of those passages where that happens, we need to remind ourselves of what God says in Romans 15, verse 4. He says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So, what do the Scriptures teach us? I think a good place to begin is at the beginning. Genesis 9. Right after the great flood, there was Noah. He took up farming again, planted a vineyard, made some wine, drank too much of it, fell asleep naked in his tent. You remember the story. And then there was Ham, his son, Ham saw this, but he did nothing about it. Nothing besides going to his two brothers to tell them about what he had seen. And so it was left to Shem and Japheth to go into the tent, walking backwards to cover their father and to take away his shame. And when Noah woke up, he realized that Ham had dishonored him with his inaction, and he placed a curse on his son, Canaan. Now someone might say, well, that was before the Ten Commandments, so really this has nothing to do with the fifth word of the covenant. But not so quick. Later in in Genesis, in chapter 26, we read about Abraham. And Abraham is described in Genesis 26 as being one who obeyed God's, quote, commandments, statutes, and laws. What this tells us is that the law existed before Mount Sinai. And so Ham could be guilty for what he had done to his father. He had failed to show respect. At that moment, he had no love for his closest neighbor, for his father. And the result of that was a curse upon his son Canaan. When we fail to honor our parents and others in authority, bad things happen. Not only to us, but also to our children. When our children see that we don't honor our parents, their grandparents, are we to expect them to honor their grandparents? To honor us? When our children see that we don't respect the office bearers or the RCMP or whoever else in authority, are we to expect them to do so? The account of Ham and Noah teaches us that dishonor for parents and for others in authority affects other relationships as well. We see a similar thing taught to us in the first chapters of 1 Samuel. Eli was an indulgent father with his sons Hophni and Phinehas. These men were priests. They were supposed to be devoted to the service of God, but they had no regard for Yahweh. They had no awe and reverence for the Lord. And what was even worse, they took advantage of the people. 
Eli, their father, he saw this and he would admonish them. He'd say, it's not a good thing that I hear about my sons. But they wouldn't listen. It was too little, too late. In 1 Samuel 2, a prophet from God confronted Eli with respect to his sons and his failure to teach his sons respect for authority, especially respect for God. The prophet rebuked Eli and said that Eli honored his sons more than he honored God. He had been an indulgent and doting father, putting his children before God and His law. And for this reason, judgment would come upon the house of Eli. And in 1 Samuel 4, we all know that's exactly what happened. There was a battle between the Israelites and the Philistines, and the Israelites were decimated. Hophni and Phinehas died. But not alone. They took 4,000 Israelites with them. 4,000 men who had wives and children. 4,000 families without fathers and husbands. Two men disobeyed and dishonored their overindulgent father. And 4,000 people and many more paid the price with them. If Eli had really taught his sons respect for authority, and if his sons had listened to their father, that would have done good for the people of Israel. That would have shown love for their neighbors. Instead, their failure as a family led to destruction, death, dysfunction, You know, brothers and sisters, that stands in Scripture as a warning to us. And there's the passage from 2 Samuel 15, the one that we just read, the story of Absalom and David. Absalom didn't honor David as his father, nor did he honor him as king. In fact, his treason... That's what it was. This conspiracy was treason. was a slap on David's face. In fact, on both sides of his face. Especially after David had forgiven Absalom for having murdered his brother Amnon. In this situation, civil war arose in Israel because a son did not respect his father and a prince did not honor the king. If he had kept the fifth commandment, Absalom would have done good for Israel and he would have shown love for his neighbors. But as it was, he brought trouble upon the people and he brought grief and trouble for his father too. Now who can forget David's words when he mourned the death of Absalom his son? His crying out, Oh my son, Absalom! My son, my son, Absalom! If only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Who can read those words or hear those words and not be moved? Let your heart, brothers and sisters, let your heart feel the deep grief that was caused by Absalom's failure. Loved ones, take careful note of the disastrous consequences of disobedience to the fifth commandment. Finally, we should take note in the Old Testament of the exile of God's people to Babylon and the various sins of the people that precipitated it. In Ezekiel 22, 
The prophet outlines the sins of the people which led to God's judgment. Verse 7 of Ezekiel 22 mentions those who treated their parents with contempt. Verse 10 mentions those who had dishonored their father's bed, if you can imagine. The exile had many causes. It wasn't just this. But sin against the fifth commandment was right in there. When the nation did not respect parents and authority, judgment followed. The story of the fifth commandment in the Old Testament is a story of one failure after another. And the Apostle Paul tells us why we have these stories. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, he writes, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Then in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 10, they were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So they're there for examples. They're also there for a warning. But there's more. Because all those stories and the failures we see there are a reminder that a Savior had to come. They were cries one after another for a Redeemer, for the seed of the woman who would would crush the head of the serpent, put an end to this vicious cycle. There were Old Testament failures, but they pointed ahead to a New Testament fulfillment. And as we turn to the Newer Testament, we see a Savior who perfectly kept the fifth commandment. And in so doing, He did good for others. He showed love for His neighbor. In Luke 2.51, we read that the Lord Jesus went down to Nazareth with them, His parents, and was obedient to them. So easy to just read over those words. And miss their significance. Don't take those words for granted. He was obedient to them. There was never a time when the Lord Jesus failed to show honor, love, and faithfulness to His parents. There was never a time that He failed to submit Himself with due obedience to their good instruction and discipline. He was always patient with their weaknesses and shortcomings. And why? He did it out of love for you. The result was that He did good for us. All His perfect obedience is given to us so that we, who like those people in the Old Testament, have failed so often so that we can be perfect and right with God. Here again, fix your eyes on a Savior who is so wonderful. And he did this not only with his parents, this perfect obedience, but also with others. In Matthew 22, the Lord Jesus told his followers to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. In other words, to show him the proper respect that he deserves because of his office. Christ didn't come to overthrow Rome, to overthrow Herod, or any other political authority. Our Savior, though He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, 
When He was on earth, He showed proper respect to those in authority. And here too, this is His perfect obedience for us. A demonstration of His love for us. Believe in this Savior again this afternoon and give thanks that He covers all your sins in this area with His blood and He gives His obedience to you. It's wonderful, isn't it? And so it's it's readily apparent that He doesn't get rid of the fifth commandment. He obeys it perfectly. And more than that, He also reinforces it and strengthens it. He does that in a passage that, that the passage that we read from Matthew 15. It comes in the context of a challenge to the Pharisees and teachers of the law and, and their love for the traditions of men. In fact, they were placing the traditions of men, what Christ called the traditions of the elders, over the commandments of God. The Pharisees and scribes had been teaching the people for many years that they didn't have to honor their parents with financial support. There was a legal loophole that they could use to avoid this obligation. If a parent saw something that a son had that they needed, let's say food, and they asked for it, all the son had to say was, sorry mom, sorry dad, this is a gift for God. And by saying that, he was released from his obligation to honor his father and mother by supporting them and helping them. Christ says that the people are hypocrites for this practice. They turn their backs on what God says in His Word and exalt their own tradition and line their own pockets. Take care of themselves. And in so doing, He underlines and emphasizes that the fifth commandment is still in force for God's people. It is still, for us, the rule for our thankfulness. Part of that. More than that, you also see Him there in Matthew 15 doing good and showing love by protecting parents from the traditions of men that would hurt them. But His teaching on that commandment doesn't stop there. Matthew 10 Going back a few chapters now, our Lord Jesus says that our obligations to God are greater than our obligations to family. He says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That isn't because of the traditions of men, but because of the commandments of God. Our first and highest obligation, loved ones, is always to God. So if we draw that out, parse it out, a parent or anyone else in authority can never ever command us to do something which goes against which what God has revealed in His Word as His will for us. For example, a parent may never tell us to steal, to commit adultery, to worship God in any other way than He has commanded in His Word. And so on. We go through all the commandments. And if a parent or someone else should tell us to do something contrary to God's Word, we must not obey them. Peter understood this teaching of Christ and he showed it 
when he said in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. That does good and shows love for one's neighbor because it guards against being enslaved to the tyranny of man attempting to replace God and His good rule and His good laws. So our Savior shows that there are limits to the obedience outlined in the fifth commandment. We've also seen His obedience to that commandment and how that is good and loving for us. But now let's turn to Ephesians 6 and what Paul says there. In Ephesians 6 and verse 1, we read, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now notice that he says, in the Lord. When he does this, he ties obedience to the fifth commandment as part of our life of thankfulness to our life in Jesus Christ. In the Lord. It is a fruit of our union with Christ through faith. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we will be obedient to our parents and to others in authority over us. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be consistently and perfectly obedient. Otherwise, we wouldn't need this command. But we will be moving in that direction. And then Paul repeats the fifth commandment and reminds us that this is a commandment with a promise. When we obey the fifth commandment, things will go well with us and we will enjoy long life on the earth. Blessings will come to us. Now this is a a general rule and general rules always have exceptions. But it is generally true that when we show honor, love, and faithfulness to those whom God has placed over us, good will result. Not only for us, but also for others around us. Now think of the fact that the promise includes a long life on the earth. What you do with those whom God has placed over you, including your parents, will have an impact on the length of your life and its quality. Let me illustrate one way in which this works. Now, I mentioned before that our, our kids are watching us and how we treat their grandparents. And normally, they will treat us as they saw us treat our parents. One author says, and I quote, The naked and crude point of the fifth commandment is honor your parents lest your children dishonor you. And so if we take care of our parents, our children will take care of us, helping us to live longer. Another author says, A son who neglects to maintain his elderly parents gives a bad example to his own children. He will risk suffering in his turn when he arrives at his old age. Now you might think, well, what does that have to do with showing love to one's neighbor? Well, wouldn't you want to have a good, long, healthy relationship with your children and grandchildren? Isn't such a relationship, one that's healthy, that's working the way that it should, isn't that doing good for them? And not only for them, but also for others around us? 
And then isn't such a relationship also ultimately pleasing and glorifying to the God who saved us through Christ? You see, it begins now with living out of your union with Christ and following the way of His covenant law. Beloved brothers and sisters, no good results from dishonor, hatred, and faithlessness to father and mother and others in authority. When we're impatient with their weaknesses and shortcomings and decide to go our own way and do our own thing, we dig our own grave. And not only ours, but also the graves of others. There is death, dysfunction, and destruction in disobedience. But for us who believe, who cling to Christ in faith, there's life in God's law because we have a Savior who kept that law perfectly. And His Spirit is in us. And His Spirit will lead us in the right ways. Look to Jesus Christ again. And then let your faith in Him by the power of His Spirit bear fruit through your eagerness to walk in God's paths. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank You for the perfect obedience and righteousness of Christ our Savior. We praise You that He kept the fifth commandment perfectly for us, for us who have failed so often and so miserably. Father, please give us more grace with Your Holy Spirit so that our faith in Christ would bear fruit, also the fruit of obedience to this fifth word of Your covenant with us. Help us to show all honor, love, and faithfulness to our parents and others in authority. Help us to submit ourselves with obedience to their teaching and discipline. Oh God, help us to be patient with their weaknesses and shortcomings, because we know that it is Your will to rule us by their hand. And Father, we also pray for those who have been hurt by the abuse of authority. We pray that You would bring help and healing. We pray that those who have abused their authority would also truly repent and seek forgiveness and look to be reconciled with those whom they've hurt. Father, please give us Your grace so that this church would be a place of healing and grace for all. We pray that You would help us with all this. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.